Good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. And we thank you for his presence in our lives. We thank you for the ways that he allows us to be able uh, to sing with all of our hearts that no matter what we're going through, he's with us. And if he's with us, it is well with our souls. We pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us collectively, but that you would also, through the power of your spirit, speak to us individually, that you would help us to know exactly what it is that you want us to hear from you this morning. It's in that precious son's name we pray. Amen. Well, during my master's program at ACU, I I got to the place where I was just doing too much. I had agreed to do too much, and and I had a lot of work that I needed to accomplish and finish, and so I I was having a hard time getting it all done. At the time, I was was preaching at at Early Church of Christ uh, near Brownwood. Uh, Donnie and Lisa Carroll were there, and some other people who have since moved here to Abilene were were there as well. Uh, But what that meant usually was I was leaving early on Sunday morning to drive down to early, and then there was Bible class to to teach and and a sermon to preach. And in the afternoon, sometimes we had elder meetings. Other times I was just there uh, with different members at church. Then we had a class on Sunday night. And then often I would stay uh, for the youth group devotional later that evening. And so it just meant that I was getting home on Sunday night really late. Uh, And you take in that it was taking me about 15 hours or so a week to get the sermon ready and five hours for each of the two Bible classes. I had 25 hours kind of spoken for in prep time. Then I was taking 21 hours of school and that meant that's how many hours I was in class. So then you had hundreds of pages to read outside of class and papers to write for class. And any of you who've tried to juggle all that know just how spread thin you get. So I was doing everything in my power to avoid 8 a.m. Monday morning classes. But there were certain professors who like to teach at 8 a.m. on Monday morning, and that's the only time they're going to teach, and I had a class I had to take to graduate, and so I, I bit the bullet and I enrolled in this class. And I did okay for the first month or so of, of juggling all that, but there was one particular Sunday night where the devotional had gone late and I'd gotten home sometime after midnight and I wasn't done with all the the work I needed for the class the next morning. And so I'd gotten something like three hours of sleep and I'd made the huge mistake of sitting on the last row in the class where the, the wall was just behind my chair. So as this teacher was dryly explaining the economic situation in Corinth and Paul's time, edge of your seat, exciting stuff. I decided I could handle just resting my head against the back wall just for a second. Bad idea. Pretty quickly, his voice faded into some monotone sound without any words in it that I could discern. And then the room started getting blurry. And then eventually I would close my eyes. Now, you know how you're fighting that. So you're convincing yourself that it's not as obvious as it is to everybody around you that you're dozing. This happens every Sunday morning, by the way, and I forgive you. I forgive you. Every Sunday. So, you know, you think you're, you're pulling it off, but your head's actually drooping, then you startle yourself. And this happens three or four times. And then I guess I go all the way out because the next thing I know, I hear the professor in a very annoyed 
boys say, Mr. Robinson, I'd like it if you'd be so kind as to join the class and also answer the question I just asked you. Yeah, busted. There's no way I was going to be able to explain my way out of it. So I had to meet with him after class, and we're talking, and it is clear uh, that not only is he frustrated with me, his feelings are hurt a little bit, which you don't want to hurt a professor's feelings at the beginning of a semester. You just don't. It took me the entire rest of that, that semester to get close to an A on anything I turned in. Because I think not only was the professor hurt, but there was this sense of I, I was lazy. Right? I, was, I wasn't taking my class seriously. And if I wasn't taking the class seriously, I certainly didn't deserve an A. I did manage to scratch out an A, but that's beside the point. I knew that something had to change after that conversation with him. Um, we, we all have moments in life where we realize something's going to have to give when it comes to how much we're trying to get done at a particular time in our life. We're, we're redlining, but we've been redlining so long that we've started to think that that's normal. And then if anything goes wrong, if, if any curveball gets thrown our way, if, if any new thing has to be added, it's only then that we realize that this just can't keep going this way. Now, for the past couple of weeks as a church, we have been focusing our hearts on the words in the Ten Commandments. And we've been trying to view those words not just as commands, rules that we have to follow and live by, but also words of loving advice from the creator of life telling us, look, if you'd like my insight in the best way to be a person, this is what it looks like. If you'd like my advice, my words on on the best way to live in community as people, This is what that community looks like. And for the first uh, couple of commands, God is talking about our relationship with him. And he says that in this ideal way of life, in this ideal community, everybody worships God and God alone. And when I say worships, I mean we worship what we ultimately place our trust in and who we ultimately place our trust in. That's how God defines worship at its most basic level. Where do you go when you're most desperate? What do you rely on the most when you really need something to work out? That's where you worship. That's who you worship. And God says that in his community, everyone worships God and God alone, that that ultimate trust is placed in him. And then we talked about uh, just last week, the idea that That as God's people who are worshiping God, who are placing our ultimate trust in God, we need to understand that in a world where not everybody already has a relationship with our God, that everywhere we go and everything we do, we are taking God's name with us. We are bearing God's name. And our behavior reflects, like all children, our behavior reflects on our Father, In this case, our our Heavenly Father who loves us and supports us and nurtures us, but wants us to be faithful representatives of His character. And so, as people who take God's name with us, He says we should never be people who take His name in vain. Right? That, That people should learn from being around us that our God is a God of mercy and grace and loving words of advice and care. Are those the kinds of people that we're we're actually being? Or do we focus more on describing the goodness and the mercy 
And those loving words of advice that come from God, describing, defining, talking about those things, and hoping that that will be enough. We have to take seriously that people trust the way we live more than just the words we say. And we're going to continue this morning by opening up our Bibles up to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, and we'll be reading the fourth commandment of the ten. Remember the Sabbath day, God says, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, of all the Ten Commandments, and in the ways that we may struggle to understand how we relate to those commandments, from the majority of my life, my spiritual journey, This fourth commandment about the Sabbath is the one I think we relate to the least. It it feels like a, a commandment that God is giving to ancient Israelites and not to us because that's not who we are. We are modern day Christians. And and a quick read of the New Testament finds that there's some some disagreement, even within Scripture, within the life of God's people, about what role Sabbath is supposed to play in their lives. Jesus often is arguing with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to say, the point of the Sabbath isn't that you just do nothing. If you have an opportunity to do something good for the sake of somebody else, it is acceptable for you to do that on the Sabbath day. You read in in Colossians, Paul's talking about this, this temptation that people had in in his time, to make certain days more special than other days. And he says, don't do that. Every day is special in the sense that every day is a day you have a chance to follow Jesus more faithfully. Take that challenge seriously every day, not just on special holidays. We read words like that and we think, okay, the Sabbath day might have been a good idea for the ancient Israelites a long time ago, but it's it's archaic, it, it, it's not for us as Christian people, so we, we just go ahead and move on to the next commandment. But as we've been doing every single week in this series, I want us to stop for a moment before we assume we're already living this way and ask ourselves, or in this case, thinking we don't need to live this way, What loving word of advice is contained within this commandment that's not Jewish or Christian, it's human? The creator of life is saying this is the best way to live life. We need to pay attention. We need to wrestle with, okay, what is the insight that we receive when we read Exodus 20, 8 through 11, All kinds of details about keeping the Sabbath. Why? What is God trying to do? What is God trying to say? Now, one of the things we find if we come back with that kind of question is the idea of soul deep rest permeates all of Scripture. In fact, it's one of the primary images that is used throughout Scripture to talk about what salvation, what being saved feels like. 
Jesus describes a relationship with him as a place in our lives where we get to experience true rest. Not counterfeit rest, but true rest. That the writer of Hebrews talks about salvation, life in the kingdom being an experience of God's eternal rest. And and as is always the case in the New Testament, the word eternal there doesn't just mean that it's rest that's going to come in eternity. It's rest that starts now and never comes to an end. And so we find that there are voices throughout Scripture that aren't just Jewish voices, that they're not just ancient voices from the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And, and not just voices in Scripture itself, but voices throughout the ages, throughout the years of wise Christian people, followers of God who say, in a crazy, chaotic world, our God calls us to times and places and experiences of rest. And that's good news. Because it doesn't matter what year you pick in human history or in the present moment. It's crazy busy. And I choose that that phrase precisely. It is crazy busy. It's so busy. It's hard to hold on to our sanity. It's so busy, it's hard to hold on to our center. And if we're going to wait for someone other than than us, if you're going to wait for someone other than you to say, to make the decision, enough is enough. If you think that's going to come from our culture or our world, that that it's going to, no, you should... You should really do less. You should really slow down. You're going you're gonna to keep waiting and keep waiting and keep waiting while the world pours more and more and more stuff on you. I mean, when you think about average weeks of couples that have children especially, I mean, I was already just describing earlier what it's like to be a a graduate student has got too much going on, but you add kids into the mix and it just starts to get almost impossible to describe. I mean, we, we live in a culture where, where enough is never enough. And so if you're working somewhere, you're, you're not just working some, you're, you're working with other people. And there's a part of you that's probably worried that the people around you are always going to work harder than you. And so there's this cycle of everybody trying to work harder than everybody else. And before you know it, it's not 40 to 50 hour weeks. It's 60 to 70 to 80 to 90 hour weeks. And that's just working, right? Then if you got kids, there's dance on Monday nights and there's soccer on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And there's a game or two on Saturday. And, and then you've got... Uh, you know, other things that as a family you've agreed to do, uh, dinners with other people and, and conversations with other people. And then if that happens, you've got thank you notes to write for the people who invited you over. And, and then you, you just keep having stuff go on in your lives that you don't prepare for. You, you've got to balance your checkbook. You've, you've got to make sure that everything else in your home is managed well, because if any one little thing goes wrong, it, it could mess up everything else and all the dominoes are going to start falling. And, and then if you sprinkle in a couple of weekly church activities in the midst of all the rest of that. Before you know it, it's been a month and you think it's been a week. 
and you're sure you're not going to be able to accomplish all the things you're supposed to be getting done. It's, it's like we've got these scheduling treadmills that are set to sprint, and we don't think it's safe to get off of those treadmills because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't show up, if we're not there, if we don't produce, if we're not, if we're not accomplishing. That is crazy busy. And you look... You look at us, and and we're not just doing this to ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we are doing this to our children and our grandchildren. I had all kinds of, I had enough free time as a kid to get into a bunch of trouble. That's not my parents' plan, that wasn't their plan. I I remember evenings during the week, and I, I played baseball. But I remember all kinds of evenings during the week where I was with other friends in my neighborhood and we, we weren't doing anything productive. I can promise you that. And we weren't always getting into to trouble, but we, we, just, we were just being kids. And I can tell, I can tell with, with, with Lauren, we're talking about every school year, what, what are all the opportunities that our girls could have and could be a part of and and if they said yes to every good opportunity they have, they would literally never sleep. And they're not old enough to know the discipline of saying no to all good things. Someone's going to have to teach them. When you've got all good options, how do you say no to something? And God says, I want you to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, by making it special. And, and then he's detailed about who all should get to experience Sabbath. Right? It's, it's a pretty exhaustive list. It even involves your animals. But it especially involves your children. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember rest. For you and not just you, but your sons and your daughters and your workers and the, the foreigners residing among you and your animals. Every, everyone should get to have times of rest and renewal. Now, I think one of the, the challenges we have with that is that <laughs> one of the challenges we have with that is that I think. We have worked so hard to create an image of endless productivity that we are nervous to let anybody else know that we're human and that we actually need rest. And and then if you try to talk about Sabbath, even in church, there's always someone cynical in the room who thinks you probably are somebody who takes way too much time to rest for yourself. Right? It's the same kind of, of cynicism that happens when we talk about money at church, where there's all kinds of reasons you can say, well, that message isn't for me. I, I don't need to think about that. I've got a good relationship with money. I don't, you know, or is, or is Jared working on trying to get a raise, or is there some sort of thing that we need? There's always reasons you can throw up to not listen to a, a, a message. 
I have found that one of the most difficult things to talk about and have people actually listen to is, is a lesson on Sabbath because they wonder if I'm trying to get more of a Sabbath time in my life or they, they worry that if they actually agree, if there's any nodding or anything that someone around them might think that they like rest just a little too much and we can't really listen to what God is trying to say to us. He doesn't say take six days of Sabbath and work once a week. Right? What's the balance? Six days of work. One day of rest. A whole day of rest. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. Okay? But there is a balance here. God's not saying that Sabbath means you don't work anymore. Sabbath doesn't mean... You never produce anything in your life anymore. Sabbath doesn't mean that you don't ever accomplish anything anymore. Sabbath is trying to put productivity and accomplishments and and all of the things we do to sustain and maintain life, things that God helps us do. God wants us to put those in their proper place in our lives. So God comes to us in the middle of our crazy busy world. He says, I want you to stop. I want you to stop long enough to think about this. It's great that you work hard. It's great that you have talents and gifts that I've given you that help you not just work hard, but work well. There's meaning that comes from work. There's a sense of of well-being that comes from being able to contribute to a community. God doesn't want to take any of those things away from us and wouldn't take those things away from us, but he wants us to stop long enough to ask Why are we working? What are we working towards? Are we ever really present where we are? Are we with the people we're actually with? Are our minds and our hearts there in the room, fully present, undistracted? Do we trust that if we work hard, that there are also times in our life where we choose not to work, and in those moments, we choose to trust that God can provide for us through the rest of the time that we are partnering with God in working. Right? I, I think the struggle here is we tend to think in, in extreme terms. We, we tend to think in all or nothing. Sabbath is about balance. Sabbath is about margin. Because here's what I found, and I don't fully understand why this is true, but a life without margin is a life without depth. It's a life without meaning or nearly enough meaning. A life with no space to reflect and think and be present is a life where we're just going 75 miles an hour. And you know what happens when you're going 75 miles an hour and you run into something or someone? It's an accident. And God sees the way we move through our world. God sees the way we move through our relationships. And he knows that it's one accident waiting to happen because we are not responding as much as we are reacting in the moment. And some of our reactions, when we're moving that quick, they they turn out to be fine and they don't really end up hurting anybody. But there are other times where our gut level reaction to a situation that we didn't see coming, when we're going at that speed, we end up hurting everybody in the room. We hurt everybody in the situation. 
It's hard to grow deep roots when you never stop moving. We have to stop moving. And we have to to catch our spiritual breath and ask ourselves, who are we really? And why, not, not what are we doing so much as why are we doing what we're doing? Where, where are we headed? Not where we say we're headed. Where are we actually headed in our lives? Are we getting the places that we say we want to, to be drawing closer to? Are, are, we, are we developing better and deeper relationships with the people that we, we've set out to, to know better and to love better? You can't analyze your life while you're sprinting. You just can't. You're too busy trying not to fall or stumble or run into someone or something. God says, remember rest. Remember the Sabbath and and keep it holy. Make it special. God knows that if if we don't make a decision to protect time... Well, we we end up speaking in ways where we're victims of our own decisions that have to do with time and scheduling. And God knows then that the key in having a meaningful, deep life lived in relationships with people that truly bless us and them, that what that's going to take is for us to actively take control of our time rather than passively allowing time to take control of us. But have you listened to the way we talk conversationally about our overly crazy schedules? It's like someone else is filling out our date book. And maybe we've forgotten that we're the ones making all those choices. Maybe we didn't realize in the moment when we agreed to do this and that and the other thing and go out with the so-and-sos and then have this other. Maybe we don't realize. But I'll tell you why we don't ever realize it. Because we never stop to realize it. God says to us, remember rest. Remember Sabbath. Remember to keep it holy. Now, I think it's good news for God to wake us up and to tell us, look, you're, you may be doing a lot of stuff, but you may not be doing much of it well. You may know a lot of people and have a lot of friends, but again, do you, do you really know them well? I think it's good for that to, to be something that we hear, but I also think we, we struggle with the fact that sometimes as much as we know that it's the voice of truth, we can, we can still run from it. I mean, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Scripture itself, it, it all speaks to us telling us the truth, the, the truth that whispering to us that we have to get a hold of our schedules because if we're not careful, we will enslave ourselves. We, we will give up our own freedom. We'll rob ourselves of peace and quiet and we'll be headed in a million different directions, but we're still not going to be getting anywhere. We'll be exhausted. And yet we're still going to feel stuck. That, that's important for us to understand and to know. But then what? Well, what do we do with that knowledge? I mean, as good as it sounds for us to figure out how to, how to set aside time for us 
you know, instead of, instead of doing to figure out how to just be. And instead of, of working to figure out how to not work. You know, instead of always speaking to, to listen to somebody else speak. Instead of always accomplishing to, to learn how to enjoy the moment we're sharing together. Instead of producing, always producing something that we can, we can prove was worth the time. What, what, what would it be to be people who just receive and experience? And we hear those ends of the spectrum. And I think it's some basic, I mean, I look around this room and I, I see people who are tired for all different kinds of reasons. And when you're tired and somebody says, you need to stop, you need to slow down, you need to get some rest. It's like when your doctor tells you that you think, you know, better than they, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you, uh, you don't know my life. You don't know all the stuff I got to get done. That sounds nice, but it sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like Something that somebody else should be able to do. I, I, I got to keep going. I... But this is God, the creator of life, saying to us, remember rest. Remember to slow down, to, to ask yourself the most important questions. And I, I think we want that. But there's this inner struggle we've got. Now, I think the reason we have that struggle is is that the key to this kind of spiritual rest and renewal is found in our ability or in our inability to fully and completely rely on God for our lives. To rely on His goodness, to rely on His grace, to rely on His promise of providential care, to rely on the fact that we are people of faith who believe that we don't just have things that we've earned through our own hard work, but that we have things through work that God gives us the ability to, to do, to accomplish, that all of it, at some basic level, is a gift. And that God doesn't promise just to give us these gifts once, but to give us gifts that take care of us every single day. How does Jesus teach us to pray about our most basic needs? We pray for daily bread. And we trust that the God we pray to always answers that prayer. We, we rely on, on the truth that, that if we will take the time to set aside time, to just be fully present with God and with those God has given us, that our lives will be deeply and profoundly blessed in those interactions and in those moments. That we rely on the reality that our value, your value is not determined on your productive usefulness to the world or to a system or even to somebody else, but that your value is set. It's non-negotiable. It is, it is a value that is set by God's willingness out of love to send his son to not only die for you, but to show you how to live. And Jesus models as, as accomplished as he was and as much as he did. Can anybody in this room claim to do as much in any three-year span of time as he did? He had moments where he said, enough. I got to get away. I have to spend time with my father. I have to be reminded of who I really am and what I'm here to do. And I know it's disappointing to the people who've been waiting for me. I, I know it's, it's not going to be easy for them to understand 
and I love them and I will help them. But right now, I have to remember rest. I have to remember to step away from, from the crazy busyness and come to the quiet. If Jesus can model this with everything he was able to do, I, I don't think any of us have to pretend like this sermon is about you just lounging around in Jesus' name and never doing anything again. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say, if we're going to have the kind of Sabbath God talks about in the Ten Commandments, it's going to take work. It's going to take work. So back to me falling asleep in front of a class in college and falling asleep in front of the professor, who I'm still not sure is over that. I, I'm not going to name him, but I see him pretty often over there, and I never know quite what to say, so I just always keep saying I'm sorry. It's been 15 years, and I'm sorry. Um, Sabbath, I, I guess I want to say this before I... Sabbath isn't meant for just some of us. It's meant for all of us, okay? And I, I, think, I think that's what God is doing when he takes so much time. The fourth commandment is the longest commandment. First of all, to slow you down enough to have to read it. And then to point out that, hey, this isn't just a three-word commandment that you can kind of skip over quickly because it's not as important as all the rest. I mean, if we're just going by length of words that God speaks, the fourth commandment, would be the most important commandment. I think it's the easiest to overlook for sure. But it's, it's not just for some, it's not for other people is my point. Right? I, think, I think we read it, we think that'd be nice. You know, when I, I get to a place in my life where I've, I've kind of done everything I need to do, then I'll rest. I've even heard people say things like, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Right? It's like you, just, you just push it off or you say it's for somebody else. It's for everybody, which means it's for you. It also means it's for others, like your kids and your grandkids and your spouse. And if you're somebody here who employs people, uh, it means we need to think about how do we have, what do we call this now in our culture, work-life balance? Which is great, except for your life schedule could be just as crazy as your work schedule. So I don't know how much it solves to call it a work-life balance. I think part of what we need is a work-rest balance. So let me come back to, you know, I'm, I'm feeling guilty that I fell asleep in this class. And, you know, I just don't, I don't like failing at anything. I don't like dropping anything that I've said I'll do. I don't like being seen as somebody who in any way would ever cut a corner at all. So I, I do what any person like that would do when they're so exhausted they can't stay awake. I threw myself into work. Right? I'm going to read. I'm going to study Sabbath. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out a way that I can, I can technically have Sabbath in my life and, do, and be just as busy. Surely someone's written a book on that. So I go to the library and I start reading every book I can find on Sabbath, right? Most of them I'm covering ground I've already covered before. And then I start talking to Bible professors and not the one I fell asleep on, but other Bible professors. And I start trying to get advice on what, what am I going to do to do less? And I don't remember exactly which book it was I read or which conversation I had, but it's an idea that has really stayed with me. And that is, 
If you don't protect Sabbath time intentionally, then what happens is you never really take Sabbath. It never really happens in your life. And you are not built to be endlessly productive and plugged in. You're just not. So then what happens is, because you're not ever experiencing true Sabbath, but you're always working, it's like you, Sabbath sneaks in. In the midst of time where you're supposed to be working and focused on, on producing something, you find that you're so distracted because you're so tired, and sometimes that's physically tired, it's emotionally tired, it's spiritually tired, that you find yourself on Facebook for 15 minutes in the middle of trying to write a paper. If you're a student, or you, you, you start looking at emails while you're still in bed. I mean, this is, becoming more, this is becoming such an issue that there are other countries out there that have passed laws that make it illegal for you to read work emails at home. Right? This, this is how crazy things are getting. And, and I think one of the things we have to decide is, okay, if I'm going to have balance, uh, this is, I'm preaching this for all the people out there that are thinking, I, you're wasting my time right now with this sermon. It could have been shorter. He, here's the, you're that busy. Okay? Here's what I want to tell you. I really think that God wants us to labor well. Both because we've agreed to work to somebody. Now, when I say labor, I don't just mean that you work in an office somewhere and you get paid to do it. I mean, God believes that good work, good service, good physical activity to accomplish something is meaningful. God wants that for us. But in order to do that as well as we possibly can with the kind of focus that we really want, guess what it takes? Uninterrupted, planned for, intentional rest. You can't do both at the same time and have it work. Because what happens is if you never really set aside Sabbath, you're not nearly as productive as you think you are because you just can't sustain it. Your heart, your soul, your mind can't sustain that kind of focus. You're not, an, you're not a car, you're a person. And so you end up wasting time. You literally waste time when you should be working. Then what happens is you, you end up having pretend rest days or rest afternoons or Saturday, which used to be kind of a rest day. In most people's lives, right? What have we done to Saturday? Well, we've just shifted a bunch of stuff we couldn't get done from Monday to Friday onto Saturday. And we still act like the weekend is some sort of restful time. What I find more and more is Monday is you're just trying to get to Monday. So that then you can be at work and feel productive, but you're barely alive. Okay? And so you're, you're pretending, you're playing a part, but you're not actually experiencing it. So what happens is Sabbath infiltrates work and work wrecks Sabbath. Because you can't really relax because you know you have 14 things that are still left undone. And you try to do that, but you really can't fool yourself into thinking it's okay for me to stop. So we have got to figure out in our own lives... 
when am I working and when am I resting? And then we've got to actually maintain those categories. Here's the difficulty. Everybody likes you Sabbathing when you say no to somebody other than them. Have you noticed that? You really should, you really should, you know, say, say no to something. You should, would you like to go to this movie over here? Because, and you know, they don't want you to say no to them. They want you to say no to your other friends. Or you may have an employer that says, you know, you really need to take time away. You need to, but before you do that, can you finish these five reports? Right? Or, or we won't call you at all on your day off. Well, other people won't call you on your day off. I might have to call you on your day off. I'm sorry if that, you know, happens. It, it's difficult, right? And part of it is because we've all had that person who finds a way to tell us they can't do something in a way that feels really judgy. Like they care more about their family than you care about yours. I'm not talking about that either because that's just annoying. I'm talking about in the church, truly loving each other enough to mean it when we say, you need to slow down. You need to remember who you are again. You need to ask yourself where you're headed again. And I want to not only encourage you to have uninterrupted blocks, times of rest in your life where you can be present to God. You can be present to people you've overlooked in your family, your, your friendships. You can just simply be. I want to encourage you to do that. And I will, I promise that when you tell me, no, you can't do something, I'm not going to take it personally. And I'm not going to judge you for being somebody who doesn't say yes to every single good thing that comes your way. We've got to find a way to support one another in these boundaries. Nobody can make this decision for you, but you. I'm not trying to to guilt trip you into anything. I'm just trying to get you to understand enough is enough. If you're going to keep working at your best, if you're going to keep producing all that God is empowering you to produce, you have to step back. You have to say no. You have to remember, rest. And I promise you, if we'll do that, There'll be a depth to us that we are missing. And we will start relating to one another again with margin, with space, to let other people disagree with us and not lose it, to to, to let other people make decisions that that impact us in ways that that might throw us a little bit of a curveball. But because we've we've taken some time to to be with God and and, and to to be in the quiet, that we're able to respond to that with more grace and understanding than we, we would otherwise. I think part of the reason that nobody's listening to one another in our world right now is nobody's stopping and slowing down and being present. Remember rest. Remember the Sabbath day. It's not just for some of us, it's for all of us. And we need to develop plans to live that balance. If we don't, we're not going to make it. We're going to sing now, and as we do, uh, some of our shepherds and their wives will be just outside of these double doors that are there to to receive you, to talk with you, to pray with you. Uh, If you want to know more about our church family, if you want to know more about what it means to to follow Jesus, to to commit your life and baptism to, to Christ, 
Uh, Anything at all that you'd like to talk with a Christian couple about, go to them as together we stand and sing.